This is WexCast from the Wexner Center for the Arts at The Ohio State University. I'm Melissa Starker, Creative Content and PR Manager, and what you just heard is a small preview of Sam Green's 32 Sounds, the immersive new documentary that explores the power of sound and its connections to emotion and memory. For this episode, I had the pleasure of talking with Sam, who's the subject of a month-long retrospective at the WEX beginning September 28th and featuring the Ohio premiere of 32 Sounds on September 29th. As he explains, Sam's relationship with the WEX goes back to his first film, 1997's Rainbow Man, John 316, and includes an artist residency award for A Thousand Thoughts, his 2018 collaboration with Kronos Quartet. Sam also discusses his inspirations for 32 Sounds, including the wonderful 1993 movie 32 Short Films about Glenn Gould, his work with soundtrack artist J.D. Sampson, and why he asks audiences to wear headphones for his latest. So my first question is, what was the inspiration genesis for this project? Well, almost all the films I've made have come out of the last film, or put a different way, the film I make, I usually leads to another film. So I think a lot of 32 sounds actually came out of A Thousand Thoughts, the movie I made with the Kronos Quartet. And that movie, one of the huge challenges with that movie is how to get people to really listen. Because usually with movies, you listen in a very passive and almost lazy way, you know, the sound washes over you. And I I started to notice myself that if you really pay attention to listening and engage your ears, things are a lot better. <laughs> you know, if you if you sort of like just tune in a little bit, it's what you hear is much more meaningful. So I thought with the Kronos Quartet, if I could get people to really listen, that would make the movie so much better. You know, they'd be like, wow, this is great. But if you just hear it sort of as background noise, it's like, whatever. So it got me thinking a lot about movies and sound, how people listen, how to get people to listen. And and with that movie, one of the, we had a certain moment in it where it was it was sort of invoking John Cage. I asked everybody to listen to the sound of the room and that's a really weird thing to do in a movie you never do that and also if you're paying attention to the hvac system in the theater like the movie's ruined you know like the spell is broken so in some way that movie i think there was a little bit intervention in that that got people to really listen so that got me thinking a lot about sound and listening and reading about it and and it kind of snowballed from there but the genesis is really just in a thousand thoughts so obviously there are more than 32 sounds in the film that yeah. you focus on, but uh, how did you settle? I mean, I can't, I, I can imagine there would be endless possibilities with this. Yeah. How did you decide what to focus on? That was, that was sort of the challenge because there are millions of sounds. There's millions of great sounds. And in a way it's a very arbitrary way to put something together. I did really, I was inspired by the film 
32 short films about Glenn Gould. So I, it sort of needed a number and I, I like that number. But what was in and what was out was like a, a struggle, a challenge, fun. You know, there were many, many sounds that I loved that didn't end up in the piece for various reasons. I mean, I think in some ways it's a random assortment of sounds, but at the same time, they all have to hold together and make uh, a kind of bigger, bigger story and in a subtle way. So often people will watch it and just think it's a random assortment of sounds, but they all have to work and, and, and sort of like play off each other and there's certain themes that get developed. So there was this great sound I really love. Um, John Cage wrote an organ piece called As Slow As Possible. You might know this and there's a, a church in Germany. So it, when people play it, it takes like three hours or something. The prompt is you're supposed to play it as slow as possible. There's a church in Germany that's taking this literally and they're playing it, this organ piece over the course of 459 years or something like that. And so every couple of years, they, a note changes and it's a big deal. People come from all over the world and they, you know, change notes. And I just love the idea of that. And the sound of it is really cool because it's a sustained note for several years. And so that was one I really loved. I tried working that in in a ton of different ways. And, and in the end, it never could stay. So it's just sort of an editing thing, what ended up being in it and what didn't. Well, you brought up 32 short films about Glenn Gould. And as I mentioned to you, I, I love that film. Yeah. So I'm curious your thoughts about that film and how that worked into this project. It's one of my favorite films. It's um, a, a film about Glenn Gould, the Canadian pianist. And it's funny because one of my least favorite kinds of films is the biopic. I hate biopics for the most part because they're so formulaic and so cliche and it's always like it starts off with the scene you know the johnny cash one i love johnny cash it's even a good movie but it's a perfect example of this it starts off at a scene and then flashes back his whole life and then finishes at that scene you know and there's so many films that do that and i really love 32 short films about glenn gould because it's this film that just is made up of bits and pieces little um, kind of vignettes and some of them are documentary, some of them are fiction film, some of them are animation. And so you never know, it's, it's always a surprise. You're always off kilter a little bit and watching it. You don't know what's coming next. And also more than that, it, it acknowledges that a person is way too complicated to be summed up in a neat narrative. Um, and that's profound, I think, and, and real. And I, completely agree. And part of the reason that biopics irk me is that they do take a messy, complicated life and reduce it to this sort of, I would say, boring formula. And so sound is similar. There's no way you can make an authoritarian or authoritative or, or you know, the documentary about sound. Any attempt to say anything about sound is is my subjective feelings about sound. And can be best done through bits and pieces, not through a, a you know, big doc on sound. And so I, I just like that model to do it and make something that's little pieces and also little pieces and you're constantly surprised by them. What's this? I think that's one of the great experiences in film watching is to be surprised. So 
and not know where it's going to go. So that was the inspiration. I also like that that the filmmaker of 32 short films about Glenn Gould took his inspiration from the Goldberg variations, a piece of music that's old that that was in 32 parts. And so it, I like this idea of things reverberating and influencing each other over the years. I love that. And I totally agree with you in terms of biopics. You mentioned that scene and uh, the Johnny Cash biopic and all I can think of is Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. Yeah. <laughs> totally. totally. Um, so your films are always a unique experience. And hmm. with this one, um, there's the added factor of everyone being collectively in a room, but also individually in their own heads through the use of headphones. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm curious at what point you realized that that was going to be a necessity. That's a great question. I was, you know, when, when I was starting to work on the film, I was like, how, how is this going to work? Like movie theaters are all over the place. Some have like great Atmos systems and some have like really terrible sound systems. How am I going to make a consistent sound experience with this? Which is really puzzling to me. And then Josh Penn, who produced the film said, I got an idea, you're going to hate it. But what if everybody wears headphones? And I was like, wow, that's, that's actually a really good idea. Because also, I'd seen this Broadway play called The Encounter, which really was a successful play. And a lot of people saw it and everybody wore headphones in the audience. And it used a lot of binaural sound, which only works with headphones, it doesn't work in speakers. And so that really stuck with me. In fact, I probably saw it 10 or 15 years ago. And I remember the headphone experience like it was yesterday. I can't tell you what the play was about. It was is in some ways the gimmick of it, the technology was way more impactful. And so I remembered that and thought, wow, headphones actually is a great idea because not only can you make a consistent sonic experience for everybody, you can use binaural sound and have this spatial magic that that films can't use yet because they don't know how to do it. So, but a lot of gaming does, a lot of VR uses that technology. So that was neat. And then also I really liked the idea of like switching between modalities you know, there's there's the experience of being in a movie theater with a bunch of people and seeing a movie. We know that we love that. It's a the the that's the magic of cinema. You know, you're you're in this weird collective experience. You're alone but with other people. And then headphones is its own odd modality where you're totally alone in the world. Like listening to something on headphones is so intimate. You're you're in this magic place of of being alone. And so I liked mixing those two odd experiences together. That's a great way of putting it. I'm also curious about how J.D. Sampson got involved in this project. The great J.D. Sampson. I um, yep, I yep. made a piece for the Whitney Biennial a couple of years ago, and it was a live cinema piece. And it was a portrait of a guy named Jim Farratt, who's like a, a film critic and a person around town in New York City and he's just super interesting. So I made a live cinema portrait of him and um, was thinking of somebody to make music and my friend Matt Wolf said, what about JD Sampson? And I'd known JD's work for years. I'm a fan. And so I said, oh my God, that'd be amazing because 
Jim Farratt was like a nightlife pioneer in New York City in the 70s and 80s. And so JD's sound sort of works with that. And so I got in touch with JD and we really hit it off and made a piece that we both were really thrilled with. And so I had already started thinking about the sound piece and said, hey, would you want to work on that? And JD was, I think JD said, sure. And assuming it'd be like a month or a couple months. And it, that was several years ago. And we're still touring around. JD's like, I think loves the piece, but also like did not know what she was getting into. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I just have a couple of last yeah. uh, questions that, that work together. And that is, this may be a tough one to answer. Do you have any favorite sounds and how has this project impacted your own relationship with sound? Oh, wow. Favorite sounds is hard. That's like if people ask me what my favorite movie is, I always <laughs> am like disappointing and that I don't have, you know, I, it, I don't have like, oh, A or B, you know, I sort of hem and haw. I do really love water sounds and that, you know, I, I got interested in Anaya Lockwood, who's this sound artist and composer, sort of one of the central characters of the film, because I read a reference in a book that Anaya Lockwood had recorded the sound of rivers for 50 years. And I just was like, wow, like, A, I love the sound of rivers, and B, somebody who's recorded the sound of rivers for 50 years, I'm interested, you know, so I really was kind of taken with that detail. So she's made several records that are just sound portraits of different rivers. And it's not just like some random recording of a river, you know, it's very carefully considered. She records things super meticulously and puts together kind of collage, but these are amazing to listen to, you know, just beautiful works of art. It's music, you know, so I really like that. Um, but I guess to answer the second part of the question, it's working on this piece has made me much more sensitive to sound in a good way. It, it, uh, I get a lot more pleasure from sounds and I also am more aware of using sound, the, the power that sound has to root us in the present. And, you know, there's a lot of things in our lives that take us elsewhere, you know, your phone, movies, all the things we have to do, TV, you know, you're constantly like not in your body in the present moment in a strange way. And sound, because it is very, exists in the present moment, it's in the air all around us and it's working on our bodies. In some weird way, if you pay attention to it, it brings you back to being here right now and being a, a person, a body. And so I just find that very, um, both pleasurable and reassuring. It's like a, a grounding. And so I, I, I have, my relationship with sound has completely changed. And so then to go back to the first question, what are my favorite sounds? Often I'll just really like, like the sound of um, the world outside my window or, you know, distant traffic or just, there's a lot of sounds. John Cage, always had this thing like the traffic outside his window on Sixth Avenue was his favorite sound in the world. And you know, it's just noisy traffic. Anybody else would say, God, that traffic is so annoying. But I think he's a great inspiration at, in, in just 
thinking of sound as pleasurable, a pleasurable phenomenon and not sort of think about it more than that. So anyway, that's a long-winded answer. No, that's a great answer. And I have found that after watching your film that it has made me more conscious of the sounds around me. And even just recording this, I'm, I've been, you know, selectively muting to keep the sounds from <laughs> outside my window from coming in. And, um, but at the same time, those sounds are, are, are very pleasing and reassuring to me. Is there anything else that you would like to add at this mm -hmm. moment? I'm really just um, excited to come back to the Wexner Center. And I, I said this to Dave many times, and I just, um, you know, at the risk of sounding sappy or cheesy, I just, I really appreciate having such a long-term relationship with the Wexner Center. And when I wrote to Dave originally, when we were talking about doing this retrospective and showing other things, I, I said, because I, it made me think, you know, God, I came and worked on The Rainbow Man, the first film I ever made. I made this weird film. There's, back then it was really hard to, make a film like even equipment was very out of reach and somebody had told me there's this place in Ohio if you fax them a letter about your project they will sometimes they'll let people come work on things and and I did I faxed a letter that shows how long it ago it was and um <laughs> came and made this film and probably would not have been able to do it without that and then I later came and worked on Weather Underground. I've worked on a million different films. I've shown films. I have gotten residency award to work on A Thousand Thoughts. So I just, I can't say enough how appreciative I am. And and also just like, it's been a pleasure to, I love Columbus. I love the Wexford Center. I love that apartment. You know, I just like, mm -hmm. I've been there so many times. I have so many fond memories and it's just, I'm excited to come back. We are very excited to have you back. I, I can tell you there's <laughs> all around good feelings about you coming back. And I'm personally excited to catch up with your shorts and uh -huh. to experience 32 sounds again. So that, that is Rebecca Solnit that essay. She that lady can write. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was Sam Green, the subject of a retrospective at the WEX, September 28th through October 30th. For details on this program and more info on all things WEX, go to wexarts.org. From everyone at the Wexner Center for the Arts, thanks for listening.